Um, not going to call in anybody here, but can I have an idea? How many of you were not able to be in the first session? Would you raise your hands? Okay, thank you. That just tells me how much uh, review I need to, to do here. Um, <clears throat> we said that when we pray, <clears throat> excuse me, there tends to be an, this almost universal problem. And the problem is that we tend to say the same old things about what? The same old things. And when you've said the same old things about the same old things about a thousand times, how does that feel? It's boring, right? When prayer is boring, you don't, you don't feel like praying, do you? You don't feel like praying because you know what you're about to do is going to be boring. You've done it so many times, you know it's going to be boring. So you don't pray because when you do pray, it's boring. And when prayer is boring, then we just, we just don't pray, right? Not with any fervency, not with any consistency. Oh, we might grind it out for five to seven minutes, but our mind is wandering most of that time. We'll suddenly come to ourselves and say, now, where was I? I haven't been thinking of God for the last several minutes now. And we come back to that mental script in our head that we've repeated in prayer so many times. But because we've said it so many times, almost immediately our minds begin to wander. And so five to seven minutes in prayer feels like an eternity. We feel like failures. We say, something must be wrong with me. I am a second-rate Christian. And I argued that then if you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the problem is almost certainly not you, but rather your, your method. Those indwelled by the Holy Spirit have within them the one who causes us to cry out. He, we don't choose it. He causes us to, to cry out, Abba, Father. We have this new fatherward orientation, this heavenward orientation. And in other words, all those indwelled by the Holy Spirit really want to pray. And they'll never stop praying, no matter how boring prayer is, no matter how few prayers are answered, Logically, you would say, well, just stop it. Good grief, why aren't you doing this to yourself? Don't do that anymore. Just stop praying. Why put yourself through the agony of such a boring routine? Well, anyone indwelled by the Holy Spirit would be aghast at any suggestion like that. They're not going to stop praying. They can't. The Holy Spirit causes them to cry out, Abba, Father, to pray. And yet... They almost always feel like a second-rate Christian. Their minds wander. Prayer is boring. So they keep coming at it again and again and again, but it's always the same. It's frustrating. It's boring. And they feel like a second-rate Christian. It must be me. Because I know prayer shouldn't be that way. I hear illustrations and sermons about George Mueller and great people of prayer and these sorts of things. And, and I'm sure it's not like that for our pastors. I'm sure it's not like that in the seminary. But for me... That's the way it is, frankly. I know it shouldn't be that way, but it is. I must be a second-rate Christian. I'm telling you, that's almost universal. But whatever the solution to that is, it must be fundamentally simple. Because God has children all over the world, right? Of all kinds. Different ages, different IQs, different educational levels. And yet, if He invites all of them to do the same thing, namely to pray, then to pray has to be doable by you, right? What does the Apostle Paul say? God has not called many who are wise. Many who are mighty, many who are noble, he tends to call ordinary folks. Ordinary folks should be able to have a meaningful, satisfying prayer life. And especially someone with the Christian advantages that someone at Providence has. You have more Christian opportunities, advantages, resources available to you than almost any other group of Christians in the world. Most people think, but yeah, maybe so, but when I pray, it's boring. So I'm really bad off. <laughs> no, it's not you, it's your method. And the method is to say the same old things about the same old things. The problem is not that we pray about the same old things. To pray about the same old things is normal. Because our lives tend to consist pretty much of the same old things, right? Your family, your future, your finances, your work or school work, your church or ministry... And the current crisis. That's our life, isn't it? If you don't think so, how much of your life has no connection whatsoever to your family, to your future, to your finances, your work or schoolwork, your church, or some Christian concern, your ministry, and the current crisis? That's our life. And so if you're going to pray about your life, it's normal. You'll pray about those things most of the time. That's not the problem. The problem is that we say the same old things about those things. Because they don't change dramatically very often. My, I, I imagine for just about everybody in here, you have pretty much the same family today you had yesterday, right? You have the same, basically, financial situation. You have the same job yesterday that you have 
today and, and so forth. Those things change, yeah, and they change dramatically over a lifetime, maybe several times, but not every day, right? So the main things we want to pray about every day tend to say pretty much the same from one day to the next. So to pray about the same old things is normal. That's not the problem. The problem is that we say the same old things about the same old things, and that's boring. When prayer is boring, we don't, you don't feel like praying, do you? When you don't feel like praying, it's hard to make yourself pray with any fervency, with any consistency. And I believe that's where most people live their Christian lives. But there is a simple, permanent, biblical solution. And that is to pray the Bible. Open the Bible, and particularly do this in the book of Psalms. Talk to God about what comes to mind in the text. So in the 23rd Psalm, after you've done your Bible reading, you look at the 23rd Psalm and you read, The Lord is my shepherd. And if that's the psalm you chose today, Lord, shepherd me in this decision about my future, shepherd my family, shepherd me in these decisions. And then when nothing else comes to mind, you go to the next line, I shall not want. You pray for those you know in want, maybe some wants in your own life for your finances, as we talked about. He leads me beside quiet waters. Lord, lead me in this decision about my future. Lead my children into the ways of God. He restores my soul. Lord, I come to you so spiritually dry today. Please restore to me the joy of your salvation. And you basically go through it line by line, talking to God about whatever comes to mind. And when nothing comes to mind, you go to the next verse. If you don't understand the next verse, fine, you go to the next verse. If you understand the next verse perfectly, but just nothing comes to mind to pray about, go on. Nothing says you have to finish the psalm. Nothing says you have to pray over every verse. You really can't do it wrong. Because whatever comes to mind is something you ought to talk to God about anyway. The Bible tells us to bring everything before the Lord. So even if sinful thoughts come to mind when you're going through the Bible, clearly that's not what the Bible teaches, but you should bring them to God. You should pray about them. And I use some of those extreme illustrations, like your friend Mark that I talked about, that verse, oh, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? And your friend Mark comes to mind. Well, pray for Mark. I use some of those extreme examples just to push the envelope to the point of saying, whatever comes to mind. Because most of the time, I believe what comes to mind will be something pretty close to the meaning of the text. And if you don't understand the text or whatever, then, then you go on. So... I find that people pray far more biblically when they pray the Bible like this. No matter how mature they are spiritually, no matter how well they know the Bible or don't, their prayers are far more biblical than they ever are when they make up their own prayers. Then I, I taught that method called the Psalms of the Day, which are designed to give you a place to go every day. You're not just thumbing through the Psalms. And then we, we picked it up right here, that the reason the Psalms are the best place in Scripture from which to pray Scripture is due to the nature of the Psalms, the original purpose and intent. So if we could bring those up on the screen there, that in the Psalms, God reveals how he wants us to praise him. The Psalms were inspired by God. Well, duh, everybody knows that. Like the Geico commercial, everybody knows that. But unlike any other book of the Bible, the Psalms were inspired by God for the purpose of being reflected to God. The Psalms were originally intended for what purpose? There were Psalms. They were praise. In Hebrew, it means the book of praises. The book of Psalms means the book of praises. The Psalms were inspired praises from God to be reflected to God. They were the songbook of Israel. No other book of the Bible inspired for that purpose. They're all equally inspired, but the Psalms have a unique place in the Bible. They were inspired by God to be reflected to God. It's as though God said, I, I want you to praise me. And if you have my spirit, you'll want to praise me. And I want you to praise me not because I'm an egomaniac, but because you will praise what you love most. And there is nothing more worthy of praise than I. And if you praise anything more than you praise me, ultimately that is not only dissatisfying to you, it leads to your destruction. So I want you to praise me. If you have my spirit, you'll want to praise me. But you know what? You don't know how to praise me. In fact, you know nothing about me unless I reveal it to you. I am invisible to you. So what kind of praise is acceptable to me? What kind of praise is true? You want to praise me, but you don't know how. So here, sing this. <laughs> 
That's what the Psalms are, right? I'd said, I want you to praise me, but you don't know how, so here, sing this. This is true praise. This is acceptable praise. Sing this back to me. That's what we have in the Psalms. And that's why there's no book of the Bible better suited for praying the Bible than the one book of the Bible inspired by God for the very purpose of being reflected to God. I almost never go anywhere but the Psalms when I'm praying the Bible. Someone said, there's a psalm, or, or the psalms are like a little Bible. Every doctrine in the Bible is in the psalms, either in the bud or in the flower, but they're all there. Someone else said there's a psalm for every sigh of the soul. You will never go through anything in your life that at its root, that emotion is not expressed somewhere in the psalms. With 150 psalms, the entire range of human emotions is to be found there. And that's why. If you will quickly take 30 seconds, as I, when I taught about the psalms of the day, if you'll take 30 seconds to quickly scan five psalms, it is uncanny how one of the psalms will put into expression what's looking for expression in your heart. I almost never go anywhere but the psalms when I'm praying the Bible. And yet, you can pray the entire Bible. Let's look at how to do so in the New Testament letters. Would you look at 1 Timothy, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, earlier we used the 23rd Psalm as an illustration. I chose that to illustrate the method because most of you are familiar with the 23rd Psalm. I chose this passage because I'm confident most people here aren't so familiar with 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If I had said, hey, we're going to look at an illustration of how to pray a New Testament letter, so go to 1 Corinthians 13. Eh, you know what's there. If I said, let's go to Romans 8. Well, you're familiar with Romans 8. And those are cherry-picking some of the easy ones, like Psalm 23. But in real life, most chapters in the New Testament letters aren't as familiar as those. And so let's, let's make this like a real day. Let's say this is like Thursday. And you're going to pray, and you're going to pray through a New Testament letter, and on a given day like that, a, a given chapter in a New Testament letter isn't as familiar as Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 13. So I want to simulate a real day. But it does raise the question, if, <clears throat> if the Psalms are the best place in Scripture from which to pray Scripture, what do you think the real-life reason would be that might prompt a person to end up praying through 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Don't make this too hard. <laughs> What's that? Holy Spirit guiding them. Yes, that might be. That's just where they're studying. That's where they're doing their daily Bible reading. They're reading through 1 Thessalonians. Today, they happened to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and they said, you know what? I don't have a lot of time here. I don't want to go somewhere else. I want to stay and pray through what I just read through. I'm going to camp out here. This ministered to me, so I'm going to go back and pray through what I just read through. That's probably what would prompt a person most days to stay in 1 Thessalonians 2 instead of going over to the Psalms. But whatever the reason, if I were to pray through 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 today, it might look something like this. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain. Lord, I pray that my coming to Providence would not be in vain. I, I don't want to waste their time. I don't want to waste my time. I pray that no one would walk out of here tonight saying, well, that was in vain. That was a wasted Sunday night. Instead, Lord, that there be much lasting fruit that comes into every life from this gathering tonight. Then when nothing else came to mind, I would go to verse 2. <clears throat> but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, stop there. What two words or two things stand out? Suffered, shamefully treated. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're suffering in some way. You're being shamefully treated, and you pray about that. Or you know someone who is, someone who is suffering, someone who is being shamefully treated, and you pray about that. And after you've said all that comes to mind on that, you go on. We, 
we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Oh, God, give me the boldness to speak the gospel to that person down the street or at work despite any conflict that is between us or in their heart. I pray for places where people are being shamefully treated, for the missionaries there, for the Christians there to have the boldness to speak the gospel despite the conflict they receive from the government or from false religions. And then after that, I would go on to the next verse. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. And maybe you know someone who's coming under error. And you pray for them. They're watching someone on television. They're, they're listening to someone. They are studying with someone coming door to door they shouldn't have anything to do with. And they're coming under error. And you pray about that. Or impurity. Your own temptations to impurity or that of your family. Or some attempt to deceive. Maybe you know some young woman who's being deceived by a young man. Or vice versa. And you pray about that. Well, if you were to pray like that through 1 Thessalonians 2, look, look at that page there. How long do you think it would take you to pray through that chapter? Huh? Quite a while, right? Quite a while. But you wouldn't run out of anything to say, would you? And, let's go back to where we started, it would be unlike any prayer you ever prayed in your life. Pray the Bible. You never again Say the same old things about the same old things. You never again say the same old things about the same old things. And you don't have to remember anything. You don't need any notes. All you need is you and the Bible and the Holy Spirit. That's all you need. Just take your Bible, open it up, and talk to God about what comes to mind from the text. And you'll never run out of anything to say. And you will never again say the same old things about the same old things. Isn't that good news? That was worth a Sunday evening, wasn't it? Just to come to know... You, you don't have to say the same old things about the same old things anymore. But it's not just that we're praying different words, though that alone was worth a Sunday night of your life, right? It's not just that we're praying different words, fresh words. These are inspired words. The words that we're praying are inspired by the Holy Spirit. There's a supernatural quality to these words. Jesus said, the words I speak to you are spirit. They are life. These are the words we're praying, not merely different words. Now, the reason why the New Testament letters are the second, place, second best place in Scripture from which to pray Scripture <clears throat> is that you've got so much packed in almost every verse. Virtually every verse in a New Testament letter teaches something explicitly. And you've got so much packed into virtually every verse. We saw a moment ago, even between the commas, we saw matter for prayer. And indeed, in some of the New Testament letters, there are prayers already there. But we can pray not only the prayers in those letters, we can pray the whole letter. So they are their second best place. And then let's look at a narrative passage. Go to John chapter 5. What's in a narrative passage of Scripture? Story. Yeah, this is the biggest chunk of our Bible, isn't it? All uh, of the Gospels, the Old Testament stories, the book of Acts. If we're going to learn to pray the Bible, we have to learn how to pray through a narrative passage. But folks, there's one big difference between what we've done thus far and praying a narrative passage. Thus far, we've looked at the text microscopically. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, Spoke about how one woman prayed 25 minutes over those five words. Just a moment ago, we saw even between the commas, we saw matter for prayer. But now with a narrative passage, you have to back up. And you look at the big picture. Because if you try to pray microscopically over a narrative passage, well, it can look like this. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. Well, if you had to come up with something, it might be about feasting or confess that you feasted too much. But it wouldn't be easy, would it? Now, what you're probably going to do is look at all nine verses in this story. Because in a narrative, you you usually have these stage-setting verses, after which comes the punchline. It may only be the punchline that you'll pray about in a narrative. Not every verse that sets up the punchline. Now, anything that prompts you to pray, you pray about 
just as we've seen with after this, there's a feast of the Jews. That, that's setting the, the stage for the punchline. And you may not pray anything about the feast of the Jews. But you can do that in those other genres of Scripture, the Psalms and the New Testament letters, because almost every line like that will suggest something to pray about. Here we just understand we have a different genre of Scripture. And you're going to pray about the probably the big, broad brush strokes. Not expecting that every single stage-setting detail will prompt something to pray about. Now, if it does, fine. Maybe the word feast reminds you of some banquet coming up, and that prompts you to pray about who's speaking at the banquet or someone you're trying to invite to the banquet or whatever. That's fine. Whatever comes to mind. But you don't have the same expectation there you do in those passages that explicitly are teaching in every single verse overtly. But once having done this, I'm confident you can open up to any part of your Bible and do this. Now for the most important part of the whole night. You're about to do this. So as I'm talking right now, take your Bible, and this is why every person needs a Bible and no sharing. Uh, get one of the, the black Bibles in the back of the rack there or under the seat. I don't know where they are. Where are they? Under the seat. Okay, if you don't have a Bible, I mean, you can use, certainly use one on your phone or your tablet, but uh, get a Bible. Every person, no sharing. And as I'm talking right now, find a psalm you can pray through in just a moment. Because I'm going to give us a time of silence, and all of us right where we are are going to pray through a psalm. I've done this with a thousand people sitting side by side, and it works because we're all going to be quiet. We're all going to be focused doing the same thing. It doesn't have to be one of the psalms of the day. Just pick a favorite. Psalm 27 is an easy one to pray through for many. Psalm 37. So just find a psalm. And in a moment, I'm going to say go. And when I say go... Just right where you are, silently pray. If you want to go sit against the wall or in the back, that's fine. And I'm going to ask that there be no whispering because even in the room this side, if someone here whispers, we'll hear it over here since we're all trying to be quiet. And after just a very few minutes, I'm going to call us, call us back. We're going to talk about what just happened, and I'll wrap it up. So any questions? Everybody understand? We're going to each silently Pray through a psalm individually, right where you're sitting, and in a few minutes I'll, I'll get us going. All right? Let's start. Well, I always hate to interrupt people when they're praying. How did it go? How'd it go? Why was it good? What's that? Didn't run out of anything to say. All right, you prayed seven minutes. It might be embarrassing for us to say when was the last time you prayed seven minutes, but you could have kept going, couldn't you? You could have easily kept going, couldn't you? Someone else, how'd it go? I can't see very well, so raise, raise your hands. How'd it go? Yes, over here. Wasn't boring. Yay! Wasn't boring. Why? Because it was fresh, right? Yeah, what... What you come back to with the next verse is, is new. It's different. It's not the same thing you prayed yesterday. So there's that perpetual newness and freshness. I mean, even with familiar psalms, if it's a 23rd psalm, you, you know that probably. It's not like you never read the next verse, but it's different than what you would have said. So it's easier to retain your focus, isn't it? Someone else, how'd it go? I'm sorry? Restful. You don't have to struggle to come up with something to say, right? Very good. Someone else, how'd it go? All right, she said, got more clear direction to pray about something she's dealing with. When you pray the Bible, you're guided by the Word. You're taught by the Word. You're edified by the Word. That doesn't happen when you make up your own prayers. You probably had other verses come to mind, didn't you? I did. So you're instructed and edified and, and taught by the Bible from other places. When you pray the Bible, that doesn't happen when you say the same old things about the same old things. Someone else, how'd it go? It was meaningful and relaxing, and it wasn't difficult. Reading something new, you think it would be difficult, but it was not easy, but it was relaxing and sort of flowed. Yeah, I said it wasn't difficult. Anybody can do this. A six-year-old who can read can do this. Now, they're not going to pray 
as maturely as an adult will. They're not going to, uh, someone who does know the Bible well is not going to pray in the same way as someone who does know the Bible well and has all these other verses coming to mind, but anyone can do this. As I said, someone who was converted this morning never opened the Bible in their life until tonight. They could do this. Anybody can do this. Someone else, how'd it go? Brought confidence. The Bible says we must pray in accordance with the will of God or he will not hear us, right? Can you have any greater confidence you're praying the will of God than when you're praying the word of God? Now, that doesn't mean you can't misinterpret the word of God and pray it wrongly and actually use the word of God to pray something contrary to the will of God. There's no foolproof method on that, but you can have no greater confidence than you're praying the word of God than when you're the will of God, and we're praying the word of God. Excellent. Someone else? How'd it go? Right here. Worship. It's a more God-centered way of praying, isn't it? It's a more God-centered way of praying. It's not just like, Lord, here I am again with my list of what I want you to do for me. It's still the same things because I'm praying about my life. But it's a more God-centered way of praying about my life. And that's a good thing, isn't it? It's a more God-centered way. I mean, for one thing, you probably praised God more. Uh, I was in Psalm 138, which talks about uh, things like this, as you find in several places in the psalm. Sing praises. Sing praises to him. What do you do when you read those? You sing praises to him. That's, that's a command to be obeyed. That's not information to be, just be processed. But we're trying to be quiet, right? So I'm silently doing that. But it's more worshipful. It's more God-centered. It will be have more praise in it, most likely. Now, you're, I'm, I'm sure many of you, maybe most of you are familiar with something that I have taught before, and there's, a, there's some advantage to it, but the ACTS acrostic for prayer. As an outline for prayer, ACTS, start with adoration, then go to confession, then thanksgiving, then supplication. Well, that, that's good as far as it goes, but you know what? After a while, that becomes the same old thing, doesn't it? Okay, begin with A, adoration. How am I going to adore the Lord today? Uh, well, probably the same way I adored him yesterday. Because who has the time? Who has the creative energy to think of new ways to adore the Lord every day? Good news. You don't have to come up with new ways to adore the Lord. He's given us 150 chapters of how he wants to be adored. And it's going to be a more God-centered way, a more worshipful way. Excellent. Someone else heard a voice here. Yes. Uh huh. Okay. It helped remind me of who God is, thus it's a more God-centered way of praying. But a lot of it he said I couldn't identify with. And that's fine. You skip that whole section. Nothing says you have to pray over every verse. We're not interpreting the psalm. We're not teaching the psalm to somebody. We're just using ideas from it to prompt our prayers, to give us words. And maybe three, six months from now, on the 18th, you may identify much better with that one. But that's fine. That's fine. Nothing says we have to pray about everything in that psalm. Someone else? Yes. Okay. All right. She was prompted to pray about some issues she had left unprayed for. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands on something. But I'm not going to call on anybody, so don't be afraid to raise your hand. How many of you prayed about some things you normally don't think to pray about? Can I see your hands? That's most everybody here, right? You pray the Bible, that will happen a lot. You'll pray about things you'd forgotten to pray about, or you'll pray about things that you wouldn't pray about if you had a prayer list as big as the Raleigh phone directory. You just never would put it on a prayer list. You'd never think to pray about it. But God will prompt you to pray about it if you pray the Bible. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands again now. How many of you prayed about generally the things you do want to pray about every day? Can I see your hands? Yeah. When you pray, you're going to pray about your life. <laughs> and so your, the things in your life are going to be pretty much the same. You're going to pray about your family just about every day in one way or the other. But you'll pray different things when you pray for your family through Psalm 23 than when you pray through Psalm 139 and when you pray through another psalm. 
So you'll pray about the same old things, but in brand new ways. But you'll also pray about things you would never pray about otherwise. Good. Good. Someone else. Ah, he said it's like more of a dialogue than a monologue. It's more like a real conversation with a real person, isn't it? And that's what prayer is, isn't it? It is a real conversation with a real person. But somehow we've got in our heads that when we talk with God, we have to do all the talking. And since we don't have the time or the creative energy every time to come up with new ways and new things to say to God, we tend to say what? The same old things about the same old things. But now, by praying the Bible, it's more like what prayer really is. A real conversation with a real person. But we're not imagining God saying things to us. Away with that sort of mysticism. That, that's my big problem with the Jesus Calling book. It's words at the bottom of the page implying this is Jesus saying this to you today. And we're putting words in the mouth of Jesus there in many cases. But folks, this is God speaking. This is God speaking. And if you want to hear God speak in an audible voice, read it out loud. This is God speaking. And God speaks in verse 1. And you respond to that. And then, like a real conversation with a real person, what do you do when you've said everything you want to say? You listen. You let the other person speak. And that's called, read verse 2. And that's God speaking. And maybe like a real conversation with a real person, that doesn't prompt a response. So you let the Lord continue to speak in verse 3, in verse 4, in verse 5. And then you feel like saying something in response. And you do. And you speak as long as you want. And when you finish, then you go to verse 6. And that's God speaking again. And God is willing to have that conversation with you as long as you want. But that's what prayer is. It is a real conversation with a real person. And this is God speaking. Yeah, he said three times he thought he was sort of through with a particular verse and the Lord kept bringing him back to it that it seems. So like a real conversation. You may be through talking about this, but I'm not. Okay? Very good. Anyone else? Yes. Yeah, sometimes you read the Bible and it seems like it's about someone else, she says. But when you pray the Bible, it's personal. This is the Lord applying the Bible to you. Well, I'd love to spend a lot more time hearing from you. This is always one of the exciting parts, which leads me to this. If you ever teach this to anyone else, you may not have had as much time as I've had tonight, but there are two things you must do. Two things you must do, even if you've had just 30 minutes to teach someone else. First and most importantly, give them a chance to try it right then. Right then. That's why I said earlier that the first half of this session was the most important part of the night because I knew this part is where you do this. And once you've done this, many of you are hooked, right? If I had just closed and didn't give you a chance to try it, many of you would walk out saying, that's, that's a good idea. That's a real good idea. I'll have to think about that. I'll have to try that someday. And you never would. But because of that seven minutes, some of you are hooked. And you will never again pray the same old way. Just because of that seven minutes, you'll never again say the same old things about the same old things. It's like riding a bicycle. You'll never forget how. And you won't need that handout to remember how to do it, will you? You won't need any notes. All you need is you and your Bible. Isn't that good news? Just you and your Bible and the Holy Spirit. Just open your Bible and talk to God about whatever comes to mind. Now you've seen how easy that is. I've had to do this. It just was torturous, but I had to do this in five minutes on a couple of occasions. I gave them one minute to pray. (laughs) 
Got to let people actually try it. Second thing I would encourage you to do if you ever teach this to anyone else, give opportunity for feedback like we've just done to talk about the experience. I know everything you're going to say. And you don't believe me? Look in the book out in the lobby. I said, you buy the book, you can just look at it and say, in the section after, there's a chapter called the most important part of this book. It's two pages. It's where I plead with people to put the book down and pray. Then the next chapter talks about, what what did you learn? And if you scan those, you'll see that everything you said is in that book. Because every time I teach this, people say the same things. I prayed about things I normally don't pray about. It was more uh, like a conversation with a real person. It's more God-centered. Everybody says the same things. But there's a freshness when you say it rather than me just continuing to talk. There's an excitement with the freshness of your testimonies. And those of you who spoke, you should have seen other people nodding their heads when you spoke because that was their experience too. So give people a chance to try it, have them talk about it, and then you can teach in response to what they say. So what have we learned here? Besides, I'm getting older. We've said that when we pray, we, have, uh, we tend to say the same old things about the same old things. So whatever this same old thing is, let's call it just bless my family. Every day I pray, bless my family. Now we said that we, we used to say the same old things about the same old things. But instead of just bless my family, now we pray the Lord will shepherd our family. We pray that because we're prompted by the 23rd Psalm to pray, Lord, shepherd my family. And there's just something fresh about that, that that transforms that prayer, right? What is it? It's that biblical imagery. Something about that biblical imagery, shepherd my family, that just transforms that prayer. The next day, you may pray that they would manifest 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. The next day, you might pray that they would become meditators on the Word of God. It's not a wonderful thing to pray for someone. But would you ever in your life pray that if you didn't pray through Psalm 1? The next day you may pray that they would manifest the fruit of the Spirit. The next day you may pray that they would sense the presence of God wherever they go because you're praying through Psalm 139. It's the same prayer every day. Bless my family. But bless my family through Psalm 23 is one prayer. Bless my family through Psalm 139 is another prayer. Bless my family through Psalm 1 is a different prayer. It's the same prayer. But it's a fresh prayer every day. At the seminary, every class we begin with scripture reading and prayer. But the prayer is basically the same thing. Lord, please bless the class. How many ways can you think of to say bless the class. But I teach the Psalms of the day to every class, and the last person into the class has the privilege of telling the rest of us what the Psalms of the day are. And that accomplishes two things. Number one, it teaches them the Psalms of the day. And number two, yeah, it gets them there on time. Nobody wants to be the guy who has to tell everybody else what the Psalms of the day are. And then I'll pick one of those five Psalms of the day and pray bless the class through that Psalm. And if it's Psalm 23, it's Lord shepherd us in this class today. If it's Psalm 51, Lord forgive us for not always applying our minds to our studies as we ought. Help us do that today. If it's Psalm 139, Lord, we acknowledge your presence here in Norton 195. You're the teacher in this classroom. Bless this class today. You see, it's still the same prayer, bless the class. But bless the class through a different psalm is a different prayer. And it just transforms everything. And I don't say the same old things about the same old things. And this works for any prayer, any routine prayer. The table blessing, the open the class prayer, the close the class prayer. If you're just called on suddenly, I don't know if you just randomly called on somebody and said, would you stand up and close this in prayer? Almost any verse that pops into your head, begin your prayer with that, and it's going to be a different prayer. Now, how do we do this with a group? I don't have much time to do with this uh, for this. I'll talk more to the pastor about this afterward. But let me say, don't try this with a group unless the group has done it individually. So whether this group is your family, whether it's a a class, a small group, or a church-wide prayer meeting, don't try this with a group unless the group has done it individually. Or else unless you have time to teach it 
before they do it. If, if, <clears throat> if at five o'clock I'd said, okay, let's, let's pray through a passage of scripture together, it would have been a disaster. <laughs> if we did it now, it would be a lot better because you have a better idea of what it would look like together because you've already done it individually. But think of these, I'm going to rush through them here, as good, better, and best. Uh, one good way is just to sign a verse to everybody. Okay, here's the psalm we're going to use. You take the first verse, you take the second verse, you take the third verse, let's go. And it's going great till we get to the third verse, and her verse is, Lord dashed their children's heads against the rock. And she has no idea what to do with that. So she's embarrassed in front of the whole group. So it can work or it can backfire. A person can just go blank. A better way, perhaps, is to read the psalm out loud at the beginning, or have everyone read it silently. And then when you go to pray together, have people who are willing to pray to pray based upon the verse that stood out to them. So if I were to do this here right now, I would have read a psalm, or I would have given you a few minutes to read a psalm silently. And then I would have said, okay, folks, we're going to pray now. And I want as many of you who are willing to pray out loud, but I want you to pray by starting with that verse that, you, that impressed you the most in the psalm. And you read that verse out loud, and then you just sort of dive into prayer from that verse. That can work great until or unless the person gets off the verse, and then it starts sounding like the same old thing. So perhaps the best way is just pick and choose. As the prayer leader, you pick the phrases from that psalm you believe to be the most conducive to prayer. And as it's quiet as needed, one by one, throw them out. So I'd say, okay, folks, I've read this psalm, let's pray together, and then I throw out the Lord as my shepherd, if I'm using the 23rd psalm. Anybody understands that just about. Almost anyone could pray something based on that. But then when it's quiet again, I'm going to throw out, I shall not want. That's easy for about anyone to pray from. Anybody understands that. And I'm, I'm going to overlook difficult phrases. I'm not going to throw out, Lord, dash their children's heads against the rock and so forth. Most people wouldn't know what to do with that. So I'm just going to pick and choose the easy phrases throughout the psalm that almost anyone can understand, anyone could pray for. And by that means, the Word is shaping the prayers of that prayer meeting, and people are praying the Bible. I've told you a couple of times today that I have my students read the biography of George Mueller, considered by many the greatest man of prayer and faith since the New Testament. He lived almost the entirety of the 1800s, most of that in Bristol, England. In his day, he had four internationally known ministries. Today, he's best known for one of them, his orphanage. In a time in Dickensian England when to be an orphan was to be Oliver Twist, street urchin. He started an orphanage. There were very few. In fact, there were more children under seven in prison in England and children in orphanages. But he opened one, eventually a total of five orphanages at the same location. And <clears throat> God funneled over half a billion dollars in today's money through his hands. George Mueller had over 50,000 specific recorded answers to prayer in his journals, 30,000 of which he said were answered the same day or the same hour that he prayed them. If you had a specific prayer answered every day for a week, that'd be the greatest week of your life, right? He had this happen like every day for 60 years. <laughs> and he never made his needs known except to anyone, anyone but God in prayer. Now, I mean, people knew that his ministry survived by receiving gifts. At the end of each year, he'd publish an annual report, and he'd say, well, on June 18th, we had no money. We prayed. Here's how God provided on August 21st, we had no food for the orphans. Here's how we prayed. Here's how God provided. And he would give those out to his supporters. And so everyone knew that they were sustained by the financial voluntary gifts of people. But he didn't ask for money. And God funneled over half a billion dollars through his orphanage. And he fed, clothed, housed, and educated more than 2,000 orphans at a time. As many as 10,000 different orphans in his lifetime. To read his biography is like reading another chapter in the book of Acts. But George Mueller said that for 10 years into this, 10 years into what he called his life of faith, not when he's a no one, not when he's a nobody, 
He's already famous around the world as the great man of prayer and faith, and God's, God miraculously supplies for the orphans. For 10 years, he said, his habit was he would get up, and after getting dressed, he would pray until breakfast. But it would take him 30 minutes to an hour of praying before he felt like praying, he said. He would try to pray, try to pray, try to pray for a half an hour, an hour. Then he would finally begin to feel like it. Only then did he start to pray. I liken it to cranking an old lawnmower in the spring, you know. Ran, ran. That was his heart every morning. Ran, trying to get his heart started. Finally, after 30 minutes, an hour, oh, 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 okay, all right, I feel like praying now. And that's when he would start to pray. What do we do? Five minutes, seven minutes. That feels like an eternity. Our mind is wandering most of that time. But he would stay with it. George Mueller would stay with it until he felt like praying. That's a way for us for 10 years, he said, until he made one slight alteration in his prayer life. And what do you think it was? What you just did. He started praying the Bible. And after that, he said, I scarcely ever suffered this way anymore. George Mueller prayed the Bible. And then that great hero to so many of us, Charles Spurgeon, God willing, going tomorrow to Kansas City for the dedication of the Spurgeon Library there. They have 7,000 of the original 12,000 volumes, the surviving 7,000 of Spurgeon's Library at Midwestern, one of your seminaries in Kansas City. My wife did the portraits of Spurgeon. We're going for that. He's a great hero to so many of us, myself included. Spurgeon said somewhere, we ought to pray when we feel like it. Well, I've been saying all night, we don't pray because we don't feel like it. But Spurgeon said, we ought to pray when we feel like it because it would be terrible to miss such an opportunity. But he went on to say, and we ought to pray when we don't feel like it, because it would be terrible to remain in such a condition. Brian, why can't I think of cool things to say like that? Because I'm not Spurgeon, that's why. You get let's let's talk about real life now. Tomorrow morning, you get up, seven o'clock, let's say, you go to pray, you don't feel like it. Cheer up, you're normal. You know why you don't feel like it? You're sleepy. You've been dead to the world for the last six or seven hours. We don't wake up with our hearts instantly on fire for the things of God. I run into door frames when I get up. But the good news is you are not subject to those feelings. So let's say you get up at 7 o'clock, you don't feel like praying. God said to Jeremiah, it's not my word like a hammer and a fire. It's not my word like a hammer and a fire, a hammer that breaks hard hearts. It's like a fire that melts cold hearts. God says his word is like a fire. You get up at 7 o'clock, your heart is cold as ice, you don't feel like praying, well, cheer up, you're normal. The good news is you can take the fire of God's word and plunge it into your cold heart so that by 7.02, just like by 6.42 tonight, you begin to feel like praying. The word does its work. But you can take the fire of the Word of God and plunge it into your cold heart, and the Word does its work, and you begin to feel like praying. And having done this virtually every day since the 1st of March of 1985, I can testify to you there is nothing in all my devotional life that more quickly and consistently kindles my consistently cold heart like praying the Bible. Now, as we finish, let me mention two of these to you, and let me ask you to turn to Acts chapter 4 while I'm doing this. On the cross, Jesus said seven brief things. Brief because he had been beaten nearly to death. Brief because he was so thoroughly dehydrated. Brief because his entire body weight is sagging on those three spikes holding him to the cross. And to get enough breath in his diaphragm to speak, he had to push up on that spike in his feet, and that was agonizing. And so they would speak just very briefly and sink back down. And to hasten death, they would break their legs so they couldn't push up, and they would asphyxiate on the cross. And as we know, that's exactly what the Romans did to the two thieves. But the longest... Of the seven brief things that Jesus said was in Matthew 27, My God, my God, why have you forsaken 
me. Which is the first verse of Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 is prophetic about what? The crucifixion. There are more details about the physical aspects of crucifixion in Psalm 22 than all four Gospels put together. Two of the four Gospels simply say they took him and crucified him, and they go on. And virtually everything in the Gospels about the crucifixion are not so much what's going on with Jesus, but rather what's going on at the foot of the cross, what the Romans were doing, what the disciples were doing, what the Jews were coming up and saying, what the weather, the the darkening of the clouds and all that. But Psalm 22 has things like this. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. Indeed, one of the seven things Jesus said was, I thirst. Psalm 22, the psalmist says, I can count all my bones. The Romans crucified their victims unclothed. All my bones are out of joint. When they would drop the victims onto the cross or drop that cross into the ground, often the jar was so great it would, it would rip their bones out of their sockets. There are two multi-sentence statements prophesied in Psalm 22, repeated verbatim at the foot of the cross. I believe Jesus was praying through Psalm 22 on the cross. Now, to some degree, that's speculation. But we know this. We know he prayed the first verse. We know why he spoke briefly. And in light of the fact that he was literally fulfilling Psalm 22 at that moment, I think it's reasonable to believe that when he sank back down, he continued praying through Psalm 22. And then in Luke 23... At the end, Jesus cried, Into your hands I commit my spirit. From Psalm 32. Jesus prayed the Psalms. In Acts chapter 4, verse 23, Peter and John had been arrested. They'd been threatened. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends. They went back to the church and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Many scholars believe that part is from a quotation, actually, from Psalm 146. But whether it is or not, go on. Verse 25, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The second half of verse 25, all verse 26 is from where? Psalm 2. This is the place, it says, and after they prayed, the place was shaken. The early church prayed the Psalms. George Mueller, maybe the greatest man of prayer and faith since that time, prayed the Psalms. Jesus prayed the Psalms. Why not you? It's so easy. Let's pray now. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you much as the disciples came to Jesus when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray as Jesus prayed. Teach us to pray as the early church prayed. Teach us to pray as George Mueller prayed. Teach us how to pray the Word of God. Oh, Lord, I pray that there would be much lasting fruit of this night together. And indeed, the people here would not only pray the Bible for the rest of their lives, they would teach many others to pray the Bible. As the psalmist said, Oh, to you to whom all men come, so we come, O Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.